If you have a Bible, I really would encourage you to turn to Acts 20 as we look at this together uh, under the title of the day, Effective Ministry. Paul's ministry certainly was effective, effective in turning much of the world upside down. And today we're going to look at this passage to see some of the elements of his ministry that were crucial in making it so effective. And we want the ministry of the gospel here in our congregation to be effective, whether it be from the pulpit, among our young people, our children, among our ladies, among our men, wherever we want it to be effective. Now, after two years of teaching in Ephesus, which culminated in a riot, Paul now knows it's time to travel on. But this brings us, before he even leaves Ephesus, to our first point, which is encouraging ministry. Before he leaves Ephesus, Paul has one final message for the believers there. Look there in verse 1. He says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. I want you to pick up on that word. He was encouraging them. So his final message was to encourage them to keep going on. He then crosses the Aegean Sea into what today is Greece, and he ministers there. And in verse 2 it says, When he had gone through the regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So the northern part of what we call Greece today was then called Macedonia, and then down the southern part, which was called Greece at that time. But again, the emphasis is on encouragement. The word to encourage literally means to call alongside. It's a picture of an athlete who's struggling and a coach drawing alongside them, encouraging them, calling to them to keep going on. And in the Christian life and within the church, we all need much encouragement. There's so much out there to discourage us. We need encouragement. Our Christian lives, our Christian service, it counts for little if it doesn't bring encouragement towards others. And so I ask you today, are you encouraging? When is the the last time you deliberately sought to do something or to say something to encourage someone? Look for opportunities to encourage. Or are you discouraging? When is the last time you shared discouraging or even critical words with others that really would have held them back? We should be encouraging. Now, Paul travelled through what was Greece and then he heads back over to Troas. And in Troas, we learned something of his means of bringing encouragement. Look what it says in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to part on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And in verse 11, And when Paul had gone up, as after Eutychus had been restored, and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed them a long while until daybreak and so departed. So Paul's means of encouraging was teaching God's word, sharing the truths of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this form of encouragement from the gospel that is deep, that is lasting, and is what is necessary for all situations of life. It wasn't just Paul coming and giving them a slap on the back and saying, 
you're doing well, keep going on, and there's a place for that. His was much deeper. He was teaching them about the Lord. His means of encouragement was to teach who Jesus was, to teach what Jesus had done for them, to teach what Jesus was continuing to do in them and for them day by day. That's how he knew Christians would be persevering, by being encouraged in the truth about Christ. And he was so serious, even after seven days in Troas, because he was going to leave, he was so serious about giving them the encouragement from God's truth that he preached right through the night. And these people were so serious about receiving this encouragement from the word, they sat right through the night hearing what he was sharing. Now, there's a challenge for us. How serious are you about being encouraged? You really need to be faithful, not just on Sunday morning, but at other times, Sunday evening, midweeks, other opportunities of being encouraged to go on in the Christian life from faithful teaching of God's word. You see, being encouraged, is, it's not just about making us feel good. It's more than that. Being encouraged is motivating us like a coach to run the race, to keep going on in the race, to strive on towards holiness, to strive on in the work of the gospel, to strive on in reaching the lost. One of the ways we can become better encouragers is by being more and more immersed in the encouraging truths of the gospel. I really believe that a poor encourager has a poor grasp of gospel truth, has a poor grasp of grace. When grace, the message of grace, burns within the heart of a believer, they cannot help but be encouraging to others. So let's pray that we would have this full grasp of the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, that we would encourage, be encouraged ourselves and be an encouragement to others. So it was an encouraging ministry. Secondly, it was a team ministry. Look at verse 4, what it says. Sopater, the Berean, son of Paris, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now here we read the names of seven men who accompanied Paul. Now you'll read seven names, but there were actually eight men, at least, who were accompanying him. Can you work out who the eighth one was? Look at the beginning of verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi. Who is the we? Paul and the writer of the book of Acts, Luke. So here we see that there were at least eight other men who were part of this team with Paul in the work of ministry. Ministry should always be team ministry. And it's important to realize that the role of the minister, as he's so-called, and maybe it's not a good name, the role of the minister in a church is through preaching and prayer to see others built up to serve, to see others built up to minister to others. 
Ephesians 4, Paul says this, you see in the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or pastor teachers, to equip the saints for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the role of those with particular word gifts, named here as the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teacher, their role in the word gifts is to build up the believers so that indeed they will then minister, serve to others. Now, I want us to look just at three of Paul's companions here. Okay, three of the eight who are mentioned here, just to see some of the qualities that are needed for those to be part of this team who minister to God's people. Well, first of all, we have Aristarchus. Do you remember that name from last week? He was one of the two men who had been seized by that mob in Ephesus and dragged into the theater when Demetrius the silversmith was angry that his business had gone. So Aristarchus, was, he was one of the, the two men who had ended up being dragged in. When Paul would later write his letter from prison in Rome to the church in Colossae, he describes this man Aristarchus at that time as his fellow prisoner. You can read that in Colossians 4 and 10. So one of the qualities of Paul's companions who were involved in this team ministry was a willingness to stick by it, to stick by gospel work, even when it was difficult, even when it meant suffering. They didn't abandon Paul. They didn't abandon the work, even when the going got tough. And then we have Timothy, mentioned here in verse 4. Timothy was someone who Paul will later send to Ephesus, remember last week, the riot, to help teach the believers there and to see them being built up and see elders appointed in the church in Ephesus. So another quality of Paul's companions who were part of this team was the ability to pass on to others that which they had received. They just didn't receive the gospel and the truth of God's word to make themselves spiritually fat. They received that truth in order to pass it on to others. They were to receive the word in order to give the word. You understand that you're not just to come here on a Sunday morning to receive the word and not to the end of the story. You're to receive the word if you're a believer so that you are equipped to minister, to share that word. Now, we're not all called to be preachers, but we are all called to give a reason for the hope that is within us, the Bible says. We all have ways of being able to minister to others. So Timothy passed on what he received. And then thirdly, I want to think about this man called Tychicus. He would be another one of the companions who would accompany Paul all the way to Rome. Now, Tychicus, it doesn't appear that he was imprisoned in Rome like Aristarchus because he was able to carry Paul's letter from Rome to the Christians in Colossae. At other times, Paul would send this man Tychicus to help Timothy 
in his work in Ephesus and to help Titus on his work on the island of Crete. Now, in the letter that Tychicus carried to the Colossians, Paul says this of him. Colossians 4, verse 78. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So here was this man with a humble servant spirit. He, his qualities included his faithfulness to the work and his ability to encourage others. Part of being a member of Paul's team was that the other members were not working against Paul, but they were seeking to do that which Paul was seeking to do in encouraging the believers to persevere. Paul's companions, they were a good team because they shared the same goal of passing on the gospel and they had great faithfulness in seeing that goal accomplished. And this is what we need in Brookside. We need a team of gospel men and gospel women, people with a passion for the gospel, a gospel that is continuing to impact your heart and a gospel that you want to share to others and you'll be faithful in seeing it shared. You'll persevere in this, in prayer, in sharing the gospel day. You'll work for this. That's the team that is needed. Are you willing to be part of the team here in this gospel work? And if you are a Christian, there's no room for spectators. You know I love football. And you go to a football match and there's all the spectators on the sideline. There's no room for that in the church if you're a Christian. When you become a Christian, you become part of the ministry team in serving the needs of others and reaching the lost with the gospel. So we've had encouraging ministry. We've had team ministry and then thirdly we have powerful ministry look at verse 8 here and throw us here when Paul is speaking there says there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer and being overcome by sleep he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And then look at verse 12. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, uh, amusingly, it has been said about this passage, it carries three messages for churches today. First of all, a message for church stewards, elders and committee men, you listen to this, the importance of not seating people in the windows. Uh, to church architects, the importance of designing buildings with good ventilation. And thirdly, to church members, the truth that falling asleep during a sermon, it can be fatal in that. But more seriously, from this passage, the message of the story of Eutychus being raised from the dead is that it points to the great power, the divine power the supernatural power of gospel ministry. And this is the power we need in our ministry today, at worship, in the work in our organizations, among our men, among our women. We need the power of God's word being shared 
with the Holy Spirit breathing upon it in this resurrection power. We need in our church, we need in our community today, not just what people can do. If we can just see what people can do, the church will die. We need what God alone can do in raising people who are spiritually dead back to life. Let me explain why that is so vital. We're going to read here from Ephesians 2. You'll see up on the screen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul is saying there, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were following the way of the world. They were enslaved to the prince of the power of the earth. They were enslaved to the devil that caused them to live this life of disobedience. So they were dead, they were disobedient, they were doomed. But then go on to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Paul is speaking here of this resurrection power, this resurrection power which raised Jesus from the dead, this resurrection power that raised Eutychus from the dead. It's the same resurrection power that is needed today in the lives of sinners, that they would be born again, and become children of the living God. And one of the reasons why we need it today so much in the church is years ago, even many unsaved people would come to church because it was a thing to do in community. You can, the older members can think back to days where the vast majority of people went to church, Christian or non-Christian. Often it was a family tradition. Everyone in the family would go to church. It was part of being a Protestant, of who you were, a part of your identity. And for all the reasons as well, people would, who weren't Christians would go to church. Now these things, by and large, don't figure in people's thinking. The mindset of society is different. And the big problem is that people will not come to church and people are spiritually dead in their sin. They're enslaved by the devil. They follow the pattern of this godless world for a Sunday now, a day of shopping and entertainment and not a day of worship. And let's be honest. When people are dead in their sin like this, putting a, a lethal through the door and inviting them to church by itself isn't going to make a difference. Just by inviting people to come to church is not going to bring people back to the church because people are dead in their sin. They're following the ways of the world. They're enslaved by the devil. So what is the answer? Is there an answer? Of course there's an answer. And the answer is not in us. The answer is not in what we do. The answer is in the divine power of God, the supernatural resurrecting power of the gospel being let loose in people's lives. And that happens as we pray, as we pray, as we pray. And we have to come before the throne of grace as believers with helplessness. 
acknowledging that the church will die unless God works in the hearts of sinners, unless God draws people to Christ, unless God brings the resurrecting power of the gospel into their hearts. And we must remember that that power is just is needed not just in people who don't come near church, even those who come into our church, those who come into our organizations, they need the same resurrecting power, that miraculous work of rebirth for them to become Christians. Paul's ministry was a powerful ministry. And listen, leaders in organizations and helpers in organizations, and those who work among men, those who work among women, listen. We're playing at games, playing at games, if we're not serious about the place of prayer, privately and publicly, praying that God will breathe upon our ministry of the gospel in power. We need a powerful ministry by the Spirit of God. An encouraging ministry, a team ministry, a powerful ministry, and finally, an urgent ministry. Paul seems to be ministering here according to a definite timetable which he is keen to keep. Paul sent most of the team across the Aegean Sea to Troas while he remained in the Macedonia for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It seems that Paul would have seen that as a a time of great opportunity among the Jewish community in that region to share the gospel. We read then in verse 16 that Paul had a big desire to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. That meant that Paul had a a month and a half from when he left Philippi to get all the way to Jerusalem. And we're not talking about days you can jump onto a jet plane and do it in a matter of a few hours. It would take a long period. So he had about six weeks in which to get to Jerusalem. Now he spends seven days on Troas and he realized he can't give any more time there. So the last day he speaks through the the night and then Eutychus falls out the window. He wants to speak to the elders then in Ephesus. He doesn't have the time to go to Ephesus to stop there. So he gets them to meet with him at the port city of Miletus. So we have this tremendous urgency in Paul getting to Rome for the feast of Pentecost. Undoubtedly, Paul saw this as a great opportunity. The feast of Pentecost, people would come from right across the known world, and there they would assemble in Jerusalem at that time, and Paul would have this opportunity to speak to the nations. But also, remember, it was at the feast of Pentecost, the Jewish feast of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit first fell on the church. And in one day, 3,000 people were saved. And I'm sure Paul had a longing that there would be another great movement of the Spirit if he got to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Paul was urgent to make the most of the best opportunities he had in sharing the gospel. Gospel ministry must always Be urgent, because we never know how much time we have to engage in such ministry. And we don't know how much time others have in order to hear that they need to be saved. 
The famous story of the evangelist D.L. Moody. At a meeting one night in Chicago, he, he didn't call the people at the end of the meeting to come to Christ. And then the Chicago fire happened. And even many of the people who were at that meeting, they were lost. And that always was a real burden upon me. And it instilled in his ministry this urgency. We don't know how much time we have to share the message to the children, the young people, the adults that we live among, that come into our organizations, that we work with, that we go to school or university with. You don't know how much time you have or they have. We need to be urgent. W.P. Nicholson, the great evangelist, says, there's nothing as alarming as the absence of alarm in the church. Let me just read, as we come to a conclusion, some words from Revelation 20. In verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and the grave gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is why what we do as a church is so urgent. As Whitfield said, we preach as dying men and dying women to dying men and women. People all around us are dying. People around us, and the majority of them are dying and going to hell. Unless people are born again, unless they've come and received the salvation of Jesus Christ, they will burn in hell forever. And this is why we have to be urgent and plead for God in his mercy just to bless our labors and do that which God alone can do and bring people to Christ and rebirth. So what have we learned today about ministry? It's to be an encouraging ministry. It's to be a team ministry. It's to be a powerful ministry by the Spirit of God. And it must be an urgent ministry. What we're involved in. Let us pray. Oh God our Father. Father we think of the words of the Apostle as he spoke about his ministry and as he described it, a ministry in, in pots of clay, a ministry in bodies that were so vulnerable and weak. And he cried out, O Lord, who is fit for this? And Father, we realize this work of ministry, this work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the truth of your word. Father, none of us in ourselves are fit for this. 
But Father, we thank you that by your grace, by your spirit who lives within every believer, Father, we are fit for this. We can do it in his strength. Father, we think of how Paul spoke about how within the hearts your spirit was doing a work beyond what we can ever imagine. Lord, help us to have no reliance on ourselves. Help us to seek to be faithful, but to have no reliance on ourselves. But to come before your throne of grace and say, Lord, just bless the ministry in our church. Bless my ministry, O Lord. Forgive me my many feelings and faults. Bless the ministry of the elders here. Lord, forgive their many feelings and faults. Bless the ministry of the men of the committee. Again, Lord, forgive their many feelings and faults. For all who ministered in our organizations, for all who belong to this church, Lord, forgive our many feelings and faults. But Lord, be pleased to use us. We want to see Christ honored. We want to see people brought to Christ. We want to see your church built. Lord, in your grace and in your power, in your mercy and goodness, come and revive us, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.